0: guessing if you're in this room or you're listening to us online, you've probably heard the Christmas story a number of times. Maybe you've seen it in a movie. You've probably read it yourself in a number of different ways or versions that it's told in the Bible. This morning, I want us to visit some of the assumptions that are made about the Christmas story. Maybe it's because of movies, maybe it's because of the version of the story you've been told. I want us to dig in a little bit in a particular part of Scripture. Later on, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 2 at a specific version of the story. But I want to take a look to begin with. uh, I want to take a look at some of the assumptions that we make or that we believe about Christmas. Are you with me? All right. my first one is fruitcake is a cake. That's a bad assumption, isn't it? Fruit cake is no cake. It's a bread. It does have fruit in it, but it's not a cake. How about minced meat pie? It's a pie, but there is no meat minced into that thing. It's all minced fruit. How about the assumption that a poinsettia is incredibly dangerous? Has anybody ever tasted one? (laughs) Have you ever tried chewing on one? I've been told I haven't either. It's very milky, kind of like milkweed. A little bit, and that is slightly poisonous, but it's no, not much more poisonous than having your mouth washed out with a bar of soap. Right? Some of you know the implications of that, I'm guessing. right? It's not incredibly dangerous. On a much more serious note, many of us have been told or we believe that the rates of suicide go up at Christmas. And that's actually not true. November, December, and January are actually a low, commonly a low point in suicides. After that, it does pick up. What does that tell us about community, maybe? About belonging, about being together. And actually, some of the worst months for suicide are actually spring and summer. Just as serious, the most dangerous day to drive is New Year's Day. That's also not true. Any law enforcement officer will tell you, and specifically here in Montana, but across our nation, Labor Day weekend, or excuse me, Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend is the most dangerous time to drive in the state of Montana and out on our roads. And where they've developed this policy that they're still going for, this initiative to have zero deaths on our roads and they do believe they want to achieve that one day but it's a struggle and especially fourth of july weekend is a dangerous time with distracted driving it's not just because of the winter roads it's because of all the activities and things that we're getting to and the events that we're involved in and and the freedom that we feel that time of year my wife would say, on a less serious note, my wife would say it's a complete myth that you can only listen to Christmas music at Christmas. She would say that is a myth. That's just an assumption. That's not a rule. That can't be true. Well, then, on that note, the movie Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's an assumption. It's a myth. That's not true. It's a great Christmas movie, Right? An assumption is this. It's a widely held false belief that's accepted as true without proof. Without proof. And especially when you've heard it enough times, or enough people have heard it enough times, and they've helped repeat it enough times, that we just accept it as a commonly held belief. Quickly, I want to cover, before we get into Matthew, Chapter 2, I'm just going to mention a few common assumptions about the Christmas story. The first being that Jesus was born on December 25th. I don't know how December 25th was picked. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of theories about how it was picked. And I, from what I've read, I can't decide that there's one way. This is the way that it happened, right? But I think that it's important that we celebrate that Jesus did come that Jesus came to be with us. I know there's also a lot of thinking that it's totally a pagan holiday and it's something that the Christians shouldn't have given up and tried to meet with the pagans and try to make a Christian holiday out of it. But I think even just, again, in and of itself, it's important to remember, God sent his son to be with us, to be example to us, but to redeem us. It was necessary for him to be the divine that comes and lives and dwells and is tempted like us, endures that. But only with that could he give himself up, give his life for your and redemption. Another assumption that Jesus was born on 0 BC. I know that at first glance or first thought, that makes sense, right? Zero. We count down to when Jesus was born. As we're going to see here in a moment in Matthew chapter 2, we have some indications and we can pinpoint within just a couple of years, it's not zero AD. Though much of Jesus' life is recorded and shared, particularly at the beginning and then later on in his life and his three years of ministry, in Matthew chapter 2, it starts out saying, that in the time and in the reign of King Herod, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so that's well documented. We, can, we know the years that King Herod ruled. And in fact, we can narrow down to about 4 AD is when King Herod passed and his son became the ruler. And so if we back up by reading some of the details that we're going to read together in Matthew chapter 2, we can actually tell that somewhere around 6 to 4 BC is actually when Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph talked to all the innkeepers. How about that assumption? Right? When we look at the word, the root word for that, it's easy to question whether inn is the appropriate word to be translated, but especially when you look at culture and the times. We're talking about a town or a village area that only had a couple of hundred people in it. It's not likely that there was a bunch of inns. It's not something that was common to the culture at the time. What was common at the culture with the culture at the time is that when these censuses happened and you gathered and everyone's headed to Jerusalem, the closer you get to Jerusalem, you really hope you know somebody. What you really hope is that you have family there. And that you can stay with family, especially on your approaching and your time that you need to check in and do those things. And before you leave, that you can actually be staying with people that you know. And so when it says that there's no, there was no room in the inn in Luke chapter 2, it's probably better translated that there was no room for them to be able to stay with somebody in the comforts of their home. We do know that they stayed somewhere, right? Then where was Jesus born? Was he born in a stable? Maybe, but it is a bit of an assumption. We know that he was born and he was laid in a manger, right? But in those times, even in my time living in Romania, it wasn't uncommon to have a, uh, let me back up even further. When I was a kid, in my mind, further in my mind, when I was a kid, We lived in a trailer house, and we had additions to the trailer house. One out at the back door, one at the side door, one off the back corner. And when I lived in Romania, that was a common thing as well, not to live in a trailer house. Don't misunderstand me, right? But you had these add-on, almost like here you might call them the woodshed to the side of the house to keep the wood dry and protected but accessible at the back door or accessible at the side door or the front door. And commonly, you may have one of those split doors, so you can also open the top and check on the crew that's in there. But when you have weather, like we're about to have this next week, and there's cold temperatures, you fit in what you can fit in. And you say, I'll, that's okay, I'd like to keep the milk cow around. It's going to be a major inconvenience to not have that milking goat. I'll clean out the manure this spring, but we need to keep them warm. We need to keep them safe. We need to keep an eye on them. Maybe it was one of those. Maybe it was a cave. We don't know exactly where he was born or what, or where the manger came, but he was laid there. There were three wise men is an assumption as well, as we're going to read in Matthew chapter 2. It talks about the wise men. It mentions them, and they're an integral and important part of the story. But we derive the number three more from the gifts that are given, the fact that there was three of them. There may have been three, but there may have been ten wise men. And the idea that the wise men, because of our nativity sets, the idea that the wise men arrived the night that Jesus was born was also an assumption. It's not true as we'll see in Matthew chapter 2. It's somewhere around the first two years of Jesus' life because of the mandate that King Herod makes. It's not on that evening and it's probably not that likely that any birthing mother wants to meet a bunch of shepherds as soon as she gave birth, right? The Jewish day started in the evening, not in the morning. Commonly, we talk about the morning, but for them, anywhere, somewhere in the first day, likely, probably what we would call the next day. Somewhere in there, the shepherds met the baby Jesus and the new mother, Mary. The wise men I'd like to read more about and dive into and extract some things that we can learn for them and we can apply to ourselves even about some of the assumptions we may make about ourselves or some of the assumptions that we may make about God. Are you ready to read with me in Matthew chapter two, a version, a portion of the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter two, verse one, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the peoples, chief priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. Skipping to verse 7, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Dun, dun, dun. I don't think Herod wanted to bring him gifts and worship him. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men or the magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the magi. What a story. I pondered that story, and sometimes I have to think of it in my terms. And as I pondered it, I wondered, how far is Bethlehem from Jerusalem? Why, why were the Magi, why were the wise men, which we don't know where they were coming from, but again, we only assume from quite a distance, why were they, say, checking in at the capital? Here in Helena, Montana? Why were they checking in for directions? Why were they wondering? Why would they assume that maybe Governor Gianforte would know the birth that the specific birth that they're talking about when it's happened somewhere in a two year time frame? And I looked up, it's only about five and a half miles away. Jerusalem, you have the Roman rulers, you have the Jewish leaders you have the synagogue there you have all these knowledgeable wise people about the scriptures who should know all these details and yet let's say in East Helena is where Jesus is being born and these wise men are walking presumably from a long distance and not totally familiar with the area are wondering where they might find this coming king who even though is under the age of two is now a threat to Herod. And so clarifying some details, but not sharing all that they know from the scriptures, being wise in themselves, they, they leave the capital, let's say. And they walk to East Helena to find on what street, on what block, and then scripture says, the house that Mary was with Jesus. Wow. That's helpful to me, but it brings up another question. If it's just down the road, if it's just a walk away, if it's, for us, just a short little drive, why are the wise men the only ones mentioned who are going and who are looking, who are not missing the signs, who know the word and know the scriptures and who are led by divine God to go and to worship and to bow down? I imagine for a moment myself, Maybe being with that entourage of, again, who knows, three, ten, twenty of them. What it must have been like after a long distance walking onto the main street of East Helena, trying to find the house, you're on this journey. There's a lot of assumptions you could have made by then. Particularly when you realize, "Ah, I'm not so sure Herod wants to give him gifts. We're in a bit of a dangerous situation. But they still identify the house And they approach it, and it says they bowed down. They opened their treasures and gave him gifts in their worship. Wow. Wow. What a scene. There's some things that we can learn, and I want to start with some assumptions along the way that maybe some of the wise men or the magi could have made. You and I make assumptions, right? Am I the only one in the room? We make assumptions, and it's not all about fruitcake and mince pie. It's even about God and my relationship with God and the way God sees me and the way I see God. And sometimes I count it as truth, as, as if it's proven or that there's proof. But it's not all proven. I wrote, the wise men could have assumed we didn't really hear from God. Why are we going to go do this anyway? particularly along the way, but even before they left, but even when they started to encounter possible trouble in Jerusalem. But they chose to, one, stay open to new ideas from God. That's a lesson for us. It's not something that had been done before. It's not something seemingly you need to do even after the babe is two years old. The shepherds were on the immediate scene. How many of you have even done this? Someone's been born and you felt like, oh, I really needed to meet them at the hospital or take them a meal at home, but it's been such and such amount of time. And you're like, eh, it's too late. Not the Magi. There's a light. There's a divine light. We know when that star came up and we're going to follow. And we want to find where this baby is. We have gifts to bring. We have worship to give we've got to meet this little one. But again, people around the area aren't making that venture, aren't making that trek. The wise men could have also assumed God's led us into trouble, into a dead end. He's left us hanging, I'm out. I'm not hanging around for this. When they sniffed trouble, I want to say, I would guess they expected a little bit of trouble. Wise men perceive trouble long before trouble is in front of them, right? They were wise men, after all. The second lesson the Magi could teach us is to trust God to guide us into our future. Trusting God as our guide, they no doubt did. Again, we don't know for, from how far away, for how long, but they're following a light, They have no idea where they're going. What about Abraham in the Old Testament? God's calling Abraham with these incredibly comforting words of direction. He says, he knows the way I, or excuse me, um, Abraham's 75 years old at this time. And God says this, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. How many of you, that's enough direction to pick up steak and leave? Wow. I don't know the backstory of the wise men. I know that they're just following a light. They don't know where the house is. They're trying to, they have to stop for some reason at Herod's office. Check in to try and get specific details. He's not much help at all. And they persevere, saying, God, we're, we're still trusting you with our future. Jesus, in Luke 22, knows the intricate details of Peter's life and all that he wants to accomplish with Peter. So much so that Jesus says, Peter, I know you're going to deny me three times. No, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. When the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me the third time. If he knew the exact details of that kind of moment with Peter and he still accomplished all that he wanted to accomplish with Peter, that wasn't a disqualification. You and I are not disqualified and God's not missing an intricacy of your life. He's not missing out on a detail or a moment. He knows your future and his plans for you. And it's to give you a hope That's beyond what you and I can imagine. I love these words. I want to share quick. Job believed. Job endured a lot, and he believed God still had his future in his hands. Job said this. He knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I will come out as gold. Wow. That's not Job speaking about his confidence in himself. That's Job speaking of his confidence in God despite what he was going through, what he was enduring, all the loss that he experienced, he knew God would lead him out and show him to be his gold. And Jesus on the cross was no different, saying, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Key word there, entrust, trusting. God, I trust you. You're gonna work this to the good. The wise men could have also assumed, we're probably not doing this right, or correctly. We are off course. We are falling into the hands of Herod. Rather than pushing the panic button, they're going to choose faith. You and I read in the book of Hebrews how essential faith is. It says it's impossible to please God without faith. Not with attending church, not participating, not practicing, not doing, the, doing nothing, but having faith in God. If we don't have faith, and the kind of faith that the Magi are on, the kind of journey that they're on, they're exemplifying a tremendous faith, an exceptional faith. Faith that the God of the Bible is leading them. That the God of the Bible is what they're following, and that they want to please him above everybody else. Again, Abraham was that kind of exceptional faith. And the magi had to leave. They had to start the journey and end up finishing the journey following a star, following light that they believed was a divine indication. Lastly, the wise men could have assumed, we don't really know what God's doing, what he's up to right now. We don't really know, but rather they found peace and solace and confidence in the guidance of just what was in God's word. Not all the details, not the whole picture, not all the steps, but just the general direction. That's enough. That God's word, what he's given us, is enough, and so I'm going to follow. I'm going to listen, and I'm going to obey it seems like all they had was a star to follow, but it was so much more. They knew this word. They were wise because they knew this word. They were counted as magi, not necessarily as kings, but certainly as wise because of the one book, because the book you and I have in front of us. And that book validated what they were experiencing. That book validated what they were going through, even the mystery of Herod, that book validated and it made way, the truth in God's word, open up even the solution. The angel speaking to him saying, yeah, get out of town and don't go the same direction. Hit a different trail, right? But just like Christmas has its assumptions and we make assumptions and some of those assumptions are given to us or told us and we take them as truth. Our relationships with God or our spiritual walks or spirituality can take on similar assumptions. We can make some of the similar reasons and those, that, those assumptions that fail us the most are those we make about our relationships And what those are supposed to look like. It's about who's worthy of a spiritual relationship with God. Who's worthy of God's involvement, his blessing, his following, his care of our lives. And what kind of outcome it's supposed to have for us. There's so many assumptions around that. We assume for ourselves, we don't have to look any further than ourselves to know we have assumptions about the way we think things should go for us what opportunities we should have, what provisions we should have, what God wants to do with our life, in a lot of truth and reality are assumptions on our end and our part. And it can be troublesome. Some of the more negative assumptions are like these. You should be more than you are now in order to be pleasing to God. Is that really true? Another assumption like, your weaknesses are in the way of God's plan for your life. I can think of several characters in the Bible who had profuse weaknesses. And God was able to use them for his plan in their life. Your lack of religious excitement disqualifies you from divine participation. You wouldn't believe how many people have that kind of truth in them that think because I'm not as expressive as so-and-so, because I'm not as verbal, because I'm not as boisterous, because I don't speak up as often, because I'm not as extroverted as so-and-so, I just don't know. I'm not confident in God's desire to use me or to do something big with my life. You yourself are probably not doing it right. You can't pray or understand the Bible like as well as others can. Or the assumption that other people have something that you don't have that just prevents you in your relationship or hinders you in your relationship with God. Our assumptions hinder our spiritual journey with God and others in all kinds of ways. But I want to say even from the Christmas story that an antidote to our assumptions is God's surprise. The Christmas story sticks with us today. Even with people, Billy Graham was asked numerous times by people who did not believe the Bible, who did not profess Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior. He was asked the question, is it still okay for me to believe in the Christmas story? Because for them, the mystical surprise of it all. But God, in our assumptions, loves to peel back the myth, the untruth with surprise and show us what he's doing and how he really feels and how he really cares and how he's really made way how he's really intervened to undo our assumptions with his truth with proof with believing with faith with an undeserved love and undeserved mercy and that's the christmas story a surprise that wasn't understood that couldn't totally be understood. Some assumptions didn't drop away. Many of the Jews at the time and still to this day still believe the Christmas story is only a story. It's more of a myth. It's more of an assumption than it is true because the surprise isn't really believed. It's a surprise that life can come through barren places. It really can. God can turn the barren into life. By surprise. It's a surprise that God does choose meek nobodies to participate in His divine plan. Most of the characters in the Christmas story would be considered nobodies of their time. Nobodies who God chose to use in his divine plan in a miraculous, surprising, unassuming, truthful, proven way. It's a surprise that you and I will be given everything we need to accomplish just what we've been asked to do, just like Mary was, just like Joseph was, just like the Magi were, given exactly just what they needed to do or needed to accomplish what they needed to do, what they'd been asked to do. It's a surprise that nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's something in all of us that we have to deal with at some point or another to undo that truth that seems like truth in our hearts, that there's something I can do to be unloved. But surprise, it's not true. It's not true. There's nothing we can do to be separated from God's love. Nothing can. I hope this holiday Christmas season as we close that you, like the wise men it says, were overjoyed. Filled with joy overflowing in how much, maybe even they assumed, but how we assume that we could be surprised into worship, that we could be surprised in even the treasures that we have to open up, the gifts that we have to share, the worship that we can give God like the Magi did, almost two years after the fact, still making the journey, Sensing trouble, pressing through it, kneeling down when they arrived at the house to worship and to give their praise and to give their thanks in faith, and trusting God's got a plan for my journey. I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to bail. I'm not pressing the panic button. I'm not going to entertain the thoughts of being unloved. God has a plan for my life. And his love makes a way. I can't reject it. So I'm going to bow down before him. I'm going to open my treasures. I'm going to present my gifts. And I'm going to worship him this season. I want to invite you to join us this coming Saturday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to do that, aren't we? We're going to come together on Christmas Eve together and worship and come together for the Christmas story and to worship right here. I want to make you aware there's only nursery available. Um, We'll have our children in here with us. And uh, it's going to be a great celebration day. We won't have church that Sunday on Christmas Day. But the next week on New Year's Eve, we have a New Year's Eve party happening here, 6 o'clock to 10.30 in this same space. And then that Sunday morning, New Year's uh, Day, we'll be having a family pancake breakfast uh, that day in here as well. And we won't have any children's ministry that day. But we'll be coming back together for a more typical Sunday celebration service, ten AM on January eighth. I'm grateful that you're here. Could we stand and pray together before we go and pick up our kids and fellowship? There's also still refreshments available out in the lobby. You're welcome to